Well, he was smiling, but you could tell he didn't want to be. And I saw it on my social media feed. He's a friend of mine. He's at Disney World right now, and he had the fakest smile on his face. It was a lovely family photo, and being that we're friends, I could see right through it. But what captured me just in the gloriousness of this photo was not only have I lived this pain, but he was there, and he went one step further than even I've had to go. As he was, rocking, as he was rocking matching shirts with his wife and his kid, his in-laws, and some of his wife's brothers and, and their, their, their family, it was fantastic. And so I, being the good friend that I am, uh, not only liked the post, but I decided to send him a text just to, just to remind him that I loved him. And uh, I just shared with him, hey, that is a great picture on social media. It's so glad to see you had on your matching shirt. Welcome to the club. And I just sent that off just so he knows he's loved. And uh, a couple minutes after I sent off that text, my phone rings, and he starts explaining to me everything about it. He's like, I had that shirt on, but I had another shirt over it, and I only took that shirt off for three minutes for that picture. And then that shirt went right back on, and I don't even care that it's Florida, and I don't even care that it's hot, but I took the picture, and that was it. I, I felt so honored that he took time out of his Disney vacation to call me and declare clarify that. It was just, it was exciting. And it was just a beautiful choice that he made. And listen, those of us who are parents, those of us who are married, we get it. We've all been there. We've all made choices that we don't really want to do, but to be a good spouse or to be a good parent, we decide to go along with it. It's just one of the choices that we have to make. And a lot of life comes down to the choices that we do make. People have said that life comes down to timing and choices, and we recognize that there is a sovereign God, and we know that there's a God who's working oftentimes behind the scenes and, and working all things together, but God has given us and everyone else free will. And last week, as we looked at Ecclesiastes, we looked at the timing and the rhythm aspect that, that things happen in our world and how that's by design. And today, we're going to take a look at choices, the choices that we make and how our lives are also impacted by the choices choices that other people make as well. As we continue our look at the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, today we'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. So if you have your phones or your tablets, we'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download in the app store of your choosing. And once you have it installed on your device, one of the great features within the Bible app is called events. If your locations are enabled, Lakeside Community Church will pop right up. If not, type in zip code 54201, and then Lakeside Community Church will pop up. You can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, again, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And if you're joining us on the stream this morning, thank you so much for joining us. The verses will be available on the screen below as we continue our look at Ecclesiastes, a book that was written by Solomon. And what we've seen already as we've walked through the first three chapters of Ecclesiastes is that Solomon was the wisest person to ever live, and he accomplished and he achieved more than most people can even fathom, more than most of us could even dream about accomplishing. Solomon accomplished it all. 
and still was left unsatisfied and was still left wanting more. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight. And for those of us who've made the decision to follow Jesus, we recognize that anything apart from a relationship with God that's available exclusively to us through his son, Jesus, and what he accomplished on our behalf when he went to the cross and he died on the cross and then rose again three days later, and he's made a restored relationship with the creator that we've rebelled against available to us if we place our faith and trust in what Jesus has done for us, anything apart from that is going to lead us, leave us at a place where we want more, where we aren't fulfilled because we were originally designed by a God who created us to have a relationship with him. But even at the times in our lives where we have a relationship with Jesus, we're still human and we still have struggles and we can still want and desire things. And that's why we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes and we live in a world that is broken and flawed and people don't have that relationship with Jesus. And so understanding the thought process that other people have and what's going through their minds and what they're processing as well. And so that's why we continue to look through Ecclesiastes today in Ecclesiastes chapter four as Solomon now looks out the window at the world around him. And he writes this. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. So Solomon looks out the window. He's been introspective up to this point, primarily introspective. He's looked at himself. He's looked at the world in which he lives in. And now he changes his focus. Now he looks out the window and he's looking at the world around him. And the scene he sees does not sit well with him. Because what he looks at when he looks out the window and as he looks at the world, as he sees oppression, he sees those who are oppressed. He sees the disadvantaged and the maligned. And it doesn't sit well with him. And what he notices is that the disadvantaged and the maligned are oftentimes in the situation that they're in because their oppressors have power. And what do you do when you are oppressed and the oppressor over you has the power? What do you do? And it doesn't sit well here with Solomon. And as people that love and follow Jesus, this must not sit well with us either. That our hearts must break when we see the disadvantaged, when we see the maligned, when we see those stuck in oppression. As people that love and follow after God, Jesus has called us to be the salt and the light of this world. And our hearts must break too when we look out and we see the oppression that exists, when we see the disadvantage, when we see the maligned, our hearts must break. We must be full of compassion and we must desire to make a difference when we see that. And Solomon here looks out the window, looks at the world, and he sees that there's suppression and it breaks his heart at what is going on. How bad is it? Well, he goes on. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Solomon writes, some people's reality is so grim. Some people's reality is so grim. It would be better for them to be dead than to be in the circumstances and the situations that they find themselves. And maybe you found yourself there. Where you look at your situation, where you look at your circumstance, where you look at your life, and you say, I wish I was dead. I wish I didn't have to carry on. I wish I didn't have to continue to go through this. And, and just a couple of weeks ago, we, we walked through the idea of, of suicide and, 
and why if you find yourself there, we are begging you, reach out. We are begging you to let us know so we can walk alongside and we will get you help. We will walk in that journey alongside of you. But some people are there. And Solomon looks out and he says, it'd be better to be dead than experience what they're experiencing. And then he takes it even a step further. But better than both, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So Solomon takes it one step further. He says, you know what would be even better? What would be even better than to live in the circumstance and the experience that these people are living in? What would be even better than to have having lived and been dead? What would be even better is to have never existed at all. And you're like, wow, that's dark. And it is. And we recognize that this is Scripture. This is Scripture. This is what Solomon's going through, but this is inspired by God. And we're looking at this and, and we're asking ourselves, what? And then when we just, we just pause and we take a breath and we analyze it, we look and when we look at our world, what do we see? We don't have to look that hard to see a broken and flawed place, to see oppression, to see the disadvantaged and to see the maligned. You think through the horrific experience that some people have endured, murders, rape, child exploitation, human trafficking. And, and we, one of the ways we try to cope is we try to think, well, that's out there. That's out there. And so we've insulated ourselves from it. And yet the reality is, yes, it's out there, but the sad reality is it is everywhere. Estimates say about 25 million people globally are currently enslaved. 25 million people are currently globally enslaved. And, and I understand these are hard estimates to, to get because some people are victims who just disappear. And so we, we can't track that and we can't know. Some people, their cases never go reported. Some people make choices in life that we wouldn't agree with and we would hope that, that people would never make, but they willingly make those choices in their lives and then they come to a place where they're busted or, or they get arrested and they recognize that if they claim they're a victim of human trafficking, in a lot of jurisdictions, they're never going to be prosecuted. And so there are some people who falsely claim it. It's, it's hard to get a handle on it, but just because it's hard to get a handle on it doesn't mean that we can just ignore it. And just because it's hard to address doesn't mean that we get to do absolutely nothing about it. Why? Because there are 35,000 people in our country right now, again, estimates, but 35,000 people in our country who are trafficked for sexual slavery. 35,000. Who are humanly trafficked. 73% of those are women. 27% are men. And 25% of that are children under the age of 18. And we can look and we can say, well, that's, that's a problem out there, but it's not that simple. Because according to the FBI, in 2019, Wisconsin had the fifth highest rate of any state for arrests for human trafficking. Fifth. Now, on one hand, that's good news. Because on one hand, that means that Wisconsin's actually doing something about it. Wisconsin's actually arresting people for it, but fifth. And as people that love and follow Jesus, this must break our hearts. We must not be content with the status quo. 
and it's hard to address, and it's hard to deal with because there are so many complicating factors, but we must do something. And so we as a church, as people that love and follow Jesus, we're going to respond. And this year, our November giving initiative is going to be to help support survivors and victims of human trafficking. Last year, we did Operation Christmas Child, and we think Operation Christmas Child is a great organization. We'll probably do something again with them in the future. But this year, our efforts are going to go to, to combating human trafficking. We're going, to, we're going to raise money. We're going to raise support. We're going to send goods to survivors of human trafficking, to people that are trying to escape. We're going to send resources to places that are ministering to people. Right now, we're talking to four organizations, and we are in the midst of vetting them. And by next week, we will be able to tell you who we're going to partner with and what our plan going forward is. But in the month of November, we are asking, as our giving initiative, over and above regular giving this year, to help us raise money and support to send to people who are victims of human trafficking. And what we want to do is we want to support them and we want to have a holistic approach to their healing. So we want to help provide them resources that are going to go to their physical, emotional, and spiritual healing. We want to, we're, we're, the organizations we're looking at partnering with have a multifaceted approach that goes to dealing with all of those factors, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We're going to help them get right physically. We're going to help them emotionally process through what they've endured, what they've gone through. And spiritually, we want them to be introduced to the hope of Jesus. That's going to be our initiative in the month of November. We'll have more details about that next week, and we hope you will partner with us as we hope your heart breaks, as you look at the state of the world, and we recognize we're not going to be able to solve this problem alone. But as followers of Jesus, we are compelled to do what we can. And this is going to be our response. Solomon continues as he's looking out the window and looking over the world in which we live. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So Solomon looks at life, and he looks at, at the general nature of life, and he sees that some people aren't oppressed, that some people are doing really well for themselves. Some people have success. Some people things are going really good for. And from the surface, that looks great. But he just keeps investigating. And here's what he discovers. The more he investigates, the people who are doing really well, the people that, that are experiencing great things in their life, when you get to the core of what's going on, he sees what they're driven by. And what they're driven by isn't a desire to live the life that God has given us to the fullest. It isn't a desire that we could make the, as much impact as we possibly could with, with what God has entrusted with us. No, what he sees is that people are chasing after success, but the reason that they're chasing after success is because they're ultimately jealous of other people. That everything is a game of competition. And they aren't satisfied. They aren't fulfilled. It's never enough because when you're competing with everybody else and you can't be happy for anybody else's success, how can you find contentment? How can you find fulfillment? Because it's easy for us to say, oh, here are five or ten people that are doing worse off than me. But it's also easy for us to name five or ten people who are doing better than we are. 
And if we live in this desire of, of trying to constantly compete and trying to constantly outdo somebody else, instead of just living our lives and being satisfied and fulfilled with what God has entrusted to us and wanting to make a difference in the time that God has given us, and instead we're chasing after topping somebody else and making sure that I accomplish more than you or I've got a better resume or I can brag about more than you've ever accomplished, that is the quickest path. That is the quickest path to no fulfillment in your life. Solomon looks out and he says, so many people are driven by jealousy. So what's the antidote? How do we make sure that that's not true in our lives? Well, this is the quickest antidote I know. Number one, celebrate the success of others. Number two, celebrate the success of others. And number three, celebrate the success of others. How do you do that? Well, I'd encourage you this week, start with one person. Send them an email, send them a text, give them a call, write them a note if you want to, but just congratulate them on their success. Just congratulate them on what you have seen God doing in their life. Just celebrate their success, not as a way to try to like, garner a sales relationship in the future. No, you have no agenda, you have no desire other than just celebrating what you have seen happen in their life. Celebrate the success of others. And Solomon keeps looking, and he says this, the fool, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. So here's the other extreme. You have some people who are chasing after everything, and their desire is to outdo everybody else, and they are driven by jealousy, and they want to be the best, and they're never satisfied until they're the best. But what they realize is there's always going to be somebody with more, and so they're just in this vicious cycle. And here's the other extreme. It's just people that do nothing. It's people who waste their entire lives, that God has given them energy, and God has given them talents, and God has given them abilities, and they just fold their hands and do nothing letting each day tick by. That's the other extreme, to do nothing. And then Solomon arrives here. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. So what's the solution? What's the solution to making sure that we're driven by good things, that we're making sure we're driven by the desire to live our life, to have the most impact that we could possibly have, to live our lives with the desire to use the God-given talents and abilities that he's entrusted to us, but that it's all done in a way that's healthy and beneficial and that is honoring to God? What's the way to make sure that, that we're just not wasting our life? What's, what's the solution? Here's the solution, live in contentment. Live in contentment. And this is why it's so important, we talk about this all the time, but it's so important to set goals before you get there. Set goals before you get there. And it doesn't mean your goals can never change or be adjusted, but so many people walk through life and they've got an idea of what they're looking for and then they accomplish it or they achieve it only to discover, well, somebody else has more or this isn't all I thought it was going to be. And then a new goal starts. And rather than be content and rather than be excited about what they've experienced, they're constantly moving the target in their life. And that is the fastest way to discontent that I know. Set a goal. Nobody, nobody else can set it for you. Your goal is going to look different than my goal. What's enough for you is going to look different than what's enough for me, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be universal. It doesn't have to all be the same. It can be different. 
and that's perfectly fine. But set that target and know what's enough and know what the goal is. And you're allowed to move it, but make sure when you hit that goal, you're content. Make sure you practice some gratitude and thanksgiving. And you aren't constantly moving it and chasing after everything. Solomon says that is a striving after wind. And you will never be satisfied and you will never be fulfilled and it will never be enough. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. And here Solomon sets a picture for us within the context of wealth, but he's getting to a bigger issue than just chasing after wealth. And that issue is this, it's being disconnected. It's being isolated and it's being alone. And I'll never forget the loneliest I've ever felt in my life. I was out in California. It was a summer job. I was working at a church and they put us up in a house to live in the summer. And I was the first person there. And I got to the house and no one was there. And there was no, there was no way to distract myself. There was no internet there. This was well before every smartphone had a data plan. There was no TV to watch. There, there was literally just me and a mat. Like, I was the only person in this house. My cell phone died, and I'm in a place where I know no one. I don't know how to get anywhere, and I don't really know who to even connect with that was there. Ultimately, it was just a real weird feeling, so I just got in the car and went for a drive. And some people walk through life that way isolated and alone. And what's even worse is in our culture, some people view that as a virtue. I don't need anybody's help. I got this. I can do it all on my own. And the reality is we were never designed to live in isolation. We were always designed to live in community. That is the way that God wired us. That is the way that God designed us. And the reality is this. Never in human history before, have we had more tools and resources at our disposal to make it easier to connect with one another? And yet never have people felt more disconnected. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying technology is horrible or anything like that. I love the fact that some of my best friends live thousands of miles away and I can connect with them every day. I love that the technology makes that possible. But there's a problem when we connect with people who are thousands of miles away and fail to know our neighbors' names. I'm fascinated when I go out to dinner, and I, I'm a self-admitted people watcher. I do it. I try not to be obvious about it. I don't want to be that guy, but I love people watching. And so it's really great if a restaurant has TVs on, because then I can act like I'm watching the TV, but I'm not. I'm really watching people unless the Buckeyes are playing OHIO, uh, and then, I'm, then I really am watching the TV. 
but I, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated when I see a group of college students who are sitting at a table, and they're all out, and they're all on their phone. And what I love the most is when you can tell they're texting people who are at the same table as them. That is my, that's my favorite. And I get it. I'm, I'm getting older. I, I, I get it. I'm getting older, and, and there's just different ways about communication that, that are different than the ways that I communicated when I was growing up, and that's fine. And I'm not saying technology is horrible, but here's what I'm telling you that all the tools and all the, all the things that we have at our disposal that should be enabling our communication and should make it easier to stay connected, if we're not careful and if we don't harness those things, actually cause and create a divide. And yeah, we can connect with people who are far away, but we can walk through life never knowing our neighbor's names. And we were never designed to live that way. And what I find fascinating is out of all these things that Solomon sees when he looks out the window and he's looking at the world, this is what he doubles down on. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone... Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the importance of community. That we were never designed to be isolated. We were never designed to walk through life alone right now. And I know some of you are introverts right now, and you got the church sweats going on. You're like, oh, this, see, this is, this is what I don't love. I don't love this idea. And I'm not telling you you have to connect with everybody. I'm not saying you have to act like an extrovert, but I am telling you, you need to find those couple people that are in your circle and have your back and are on your team and that are your people and who are with you in every circumstance and every situation. You don't have to act like an extrovert, but you need to have those people because God never designed us to be isolated. He never designed us to be alone. That is why I cannot recommend enough to sign up for supper clubs to sign up for supper clubs here at Lakeside. If you're new to Lakeside and you're wondering what supper clubs are, I just want to encourage you, people who have been to Lakeside for 20 years don't know either because there's something brand new that we're starting this year. So you're not, you know, don't feel like, hey, you're missing out on something. If you don't sign up, you're missing out on something. But supper clubs are our desire to get people together, to get people together over a shared meal and just to get to know each other and have community together. They meet four times this fall, four times this fall, every other week, and to spend that time in community, just getting to know people. And if you go and you're like, yeah, these aren't my people, well, the good news is it's only four times. And then you don't have to rejoin in the winter. When we launch them back up in the winter, you can find a different supper club and nobody's ever going to know. You don't have to have a messy breakup with somebody. It's not like that because you're only saying, hey, I'll be there four times. And then we're breaking up for you. Now, if you're like, hey, I love these people and I want to stay together, we're going to make it so you can stay together. But if you choose not to, that's fine. But the reality is this, the most introverted introvert needs community. The most extroverted extrovert maybe needs a little less community, and we're going to make sure they don't dominate the conversation at the supper club because everybody, everybody matters. And everybody needs community. And I cannot encourage you enough to sign up for these. They're an hour and a half. They're twice a month. And it will help you connect with other people. Because we 
all need other people in our lives. You can go to lakeside-church.com slash groups, lakeside-church.com slash groups, and you can sign up right now from your seat. Let's, if you haven't already done so, you need to do this. You need to at least try it out. Sign up. I promise you won't regret it. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind, the picture of, of two individuals. Who are the same. And why does Solomon write this riddle? Poor and wise youth, old and foolish king. What's he getting at? What does he want us to take away? Went from prison to the throne? Who was born poor? Circumstances don't last. Solomon's point is circumstances don't last. And he uses this journey as an example of that. Approval ratings, power, influence. All those things last for a, a very short time. A very short time. And it's all so fickle. And why does this matter? Because if these things are your source of fulfillment in your life, you will constantly be left wanting more. If this is how you find fulfillment, if this is how you find satisfaction in your life, then you are signing up to ride the roller coaster. And your entire, your entire person who you are as an individual, you are going to be driven by what happens to you. Your entire life is going to be a life of response. And when times are good, you're going to be on top of the world, and it's going to be great. But when tough times show up, you're not going to know what to do. You're not going to know how to survive. And you're not going to know how to get through. Because circumstances don't last. They constantly change. And yet we've seen how many people put all of their focus and all of their emphasis into what they can achieve or how popular, how popular they are or what they acquire. But all of those things are fleeting. And when you allow that to define you, when you allow that to be the sole focus of your life, you are signing up for a journey that you are not in control of and a journey that will constantly leave you wanting more. You will desire more. It will never be enough. And so the question is then, what ultimately works? As Solomon looks out, he's already looked inwardly. As he looks out at the world and he sees oppression and he sees the disadvantaged and he sees the maligned, and he sees people who've accomplished really great things, but at their core, the only reason they've accomplished those things is jealousy. 
And then he's seen the people who just waste their life. He's seen the people that chase after everything, never being fulfilled. He's seen the people that walk through life isolated and alone. So what's the answer? Where's the hope? Again, we have the benefit of hindsight. So we see the answer. And we see the hope. And we see that the ultimate path to fulfillment is a restored relationship with our Creator. With the God who created us. With this longing within us. This longing within us is a blessing. And it's a benefit to tell us that there is more. There is more than the promotion. There is more than our dreams coming true. And that more as a relationship with God, which is the ultimate reason why we were created. That's available to us exclusively through His Son, Jesus. And I know some of you might be cynical because that's a journey you haven't experienced in your life. That's a choice you haven't made. And the question I would just ask you to answer is, well, if the answer isn't Jesus then what in your life brings you fulfillment? And after you answer that, the next question I would ask you is this. Is it lasting? Because the only path to ultimate fulfillment is a relationship with our Creator that's available exclusively through us, to us, through the sacrifice of his son. God, I pray that those who have experienced the hope of a relationship with you would emulate that hope, would proclaim that peace, would be the salt and light that you've called them to be in this broken and flawed world. I pray that as we see the oppressed, the marginalized, and the maligned, that our hearts would break, that we would not be satisfied with the status quo. And while we know we cannot solve this in and of ourselves, we know that you have put us here for a reason. And so we will do what we can to shine the light of Jesus into the darkest places of this world. I pray, God, for those who are chasing after things, thinking that's going to be the path to fulfillment. And I pray that you would reveal to them what a worthless endeavor that ultimately is when you're not part of it. I pray that every person that calls Lakeside home would be part of community, recognizing that they're not alone and they don't have to walk through life by themselves. I pray, God, for those that haven't yet made the decision to follow you. And I pray, Lord, through their discontent, they would find you. God, that you would work 
about those that know and love you, Jesus. Make a difference for you. That we would be the salt and light that you've called us to be. God, that we would find fulfillment in the only source we ultimately can. In you, Jesus. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.